Good morning again. If you would uh, allow me to pray for us before we jump in together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder of uh, the story that you are weaving us into. Um, And we do ask that you would teach us to pray. And we ask this morning that as we think together uh, about what it means to pray and, and how to use the Lord's Prayer as a pattern for prayer, um, that your spirit would come and, and teach us. Um, this is a hard thing to learn, and uh, we need your help. And I need your help. I have nothing, nothing to give unless your spirit comes and, and feeds your people uh, by your word and through your power. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wonder if some of you may be thinking to yourself over the past couple of weeks, why in the world, Jimmy, would you make your first sermon series about prayer? Uh, don't you know what people do when they're asked about their prayer life? They either hang their heads in shame or they find the nearest exit. Uh, pastors, too, feel the same way when someone says, how's your prayer life, preacher? Prayer life, Uh, it's a very awkward topic. Um, A lot of us feel guilty for not praying enough, or we feel stupid because we don't think we know how to pray. We certainly don't want to pray in front of other people. Uh, We feel embarrassed or maybe even sad because, if we're honest, we just don't want to pray. So prayer is a tough topic uh, um, to start with. And um, I'm with you. Believe me, I'm not, uh, I'm not preaching a sermon series on prayer because I'm the expert and I think I've got this figured out and so now I'm going to share all my wisdom with you. Seriously, one of the reasons I'm preaching this series on prayer to begin is because I need it. I need to hear about it myself. I need to be reminded that we're dependent on God for whatever he is going to do in and through Mountain Fellowship. Absolutely dependent on him. And as we've said, prayer is a declaration of dependence on our Father. So, so uh, am I going to fix this problem in one sermon? No. Am I going to fix it in one sermon series? No. <laughs> but... Um, by God's grace and his word and his spirit, um, we'll make progress together as we learn to become a praying church, or in your case, continue to be a praying church. Um, but there's something I want us to consider together in Matthew 6 that I think will help us. Um, at least I found this week that it's helping me. I've, I've become convinced that I will enjoy praying more, and I will pray more effectively when I understand how my story and our story as a church fits into the larger story of Jesus. I'm learning that the Lord's Prayer and praying 
itself mean more to me when I understand that the context for the Lord's Prayer and for prayer in general is the Lord's community on mission. And I'm going to unpack what that means. So, be patient with me for the next few minutes as I try to zoom out of Matthew 6 and, and give you, again, the entire Bible in a few minutes. Are you ready for this? Are there seat belts in those chairs? Um, you're going to ask yourself in a few minutes, why are we not looking at Matthew 6? We're going to get there. But uh, as I looked at this this week, I just I felt like we've got to understand the larger story of what God is doing. Um, and then prayer and the Lord's Prayer will make a lot more sense. It has for me. We'll find out if it has for you. So here we go. As you know, I'm sure you've been taught well that uh, the story of God, the story that God is writing, can be broken down into four acts, like a four-act play. Act one would be creation. Act two, the fall. Act three, redemption. And act four, there's various words for that, but I'm just going to call it restoration, okay? Uh, so four acts in this play, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And so I want to kind of give you my version of that, uh, which will also help us understand what I'm saying when I say a community on mission. Before creation ever happened, there existed a community on mission. Um, the three-in-one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, a community on their mission to magnify and multiply God's glory, goodness, and gladness throughout eternity. So at the center of all reality is a relationship that rules. At the center of all reality is a community on mission before any of us were ever made. So this God, who is a community on mission, created men and women in his image to relate and rule with him. He gave them a mandate to magnify and multiply his glory and goodness and gladness throughout all creation forever. Uh, you may have heard that in the ancient Near East, a king uh, who did not have the powers that we do through um, technology and video and all that, if a king wanted to let the world know that he reigned in that particular area, he would create an image of himself in his likeness, and he would have that image placed in all the various realms over which he ruled. And so when the people saw that image of the king, they recognized, I'm in the king's kingdom. There's his image. And so it's that same idea that when God made men and women in his image and likeness, he invited them to be vice regents with them, to co-rule with them, to, to say that when, I, when God says multiply and fill the earth with image-bearing people, he's filling the earth with his kingdom. And we become reflections of the king. We are not the king, but we represent him and reflect him. That's what Adam and Eve and their children were made to do. So God invited these folks to join his God-centered community and his God-centered mission. 
They walked in the cool of the garden with him together. He blessed them with the relationship and resources they needed to carry out the mission he commanded in the place he put them. They were there and commanded to care for and cultivate the garden to be a holy place where God and his people could live together, sharing with God his deep gladness in relating with and ruling all things. They were also told to multiply generations of other image bearers who would join the community and mission of God. They were created to live a life that looked to God and to other people and to all that God has made and say, you first. They were created to give themselves to love God and to love people and all that God has made. That's creation. That's act one. They were created to join God in his community and his mission. But, act two, the fall. An enemy slithered into the garden and sowed seeds of doubt in the hearts of God's people. They doubted the great, glorious, good, and gracious heart of God. And by eating the forbidden fruit, they not only doubted, but disobeyed his word. They rejected his relationship. They rebelled against his rule. In other words, they rejected his community, and they rebelled against his mission. The result was that they were cut off from God's community and God's mission. And so, chapter 3 of Genesis, we have a broken relationship with God. They're hiding from him and blaming him. They have a broken relationship with people, with each other. They're hiding from one another behind fig leaves and blaming one another. And they have a broken relationship with creation. Creation was cursed, and so was their ability to care for it and cultivate it, as God has commanded, had commanded them to do. So now, instead of being you first people who live to use themselves to love and serve God and people and creation... They became me-first people who lived to use God and use people and use creation to serve themselves. And from that day forward, human beings have lived in me-centered communities on me-centered missions to magnify and multiply their own glory and good and gladness throughout all creation for as long as they can. But in Genesis 3.15, there was a glimmer of hope, wasn't there? Genesis 3.15 says that God promised that one day an offspring of the woman would come to crush the head of the enemy, though the enemy would strike his heel. And then after that, God shed the blood of animals to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve, foreshadowing the day when the Lamb of God would shed his blood to cover our sin and shame. So though the fall, the act two, introduced... Uh, a people who had been separated from God's community and God's mission, there was a glimmer of hope that God was still at work. And so chapter 3, redemption, which is what the rest of the Bible unpacks for us. Act 3, redemption. The story wouldn't end there. Had I been God, I would have squashed those people and made me some new ones, or maybe said, not going to do that again. But he wasn't done. He didn't give up on his plan to have people created in his image who could be loved in his community and who could live on his mission with him. 
So God called Abram and promised that he would make Abram's descendants a blessed community with a mission to bless the world. Genesis chapter 12. Then God gave them the law, the Ten Commandments, so that they could see how a God-centered community on God's mission is to live. The first four commandments are about loving God. The last six were about loving people. Loving God and loving people in the place God put them. Here now was a picture of what it would look like for God's people to once again relate and rule with him. To use themselves to love God and to love people in the place God put them with the resources he's given them. To live a you-first life that looks to God, to people, and to all that God has made and says, you first. But the people people were still corrupted by this sinful me-first heart they inherited from Adam. And that law, those Ten Commandments, served to show them how unable they were to live a you-first life. Their me-first hearts made it impossible to live in community with God and on his mission. The law exposed their rebellious hearts in order to drive them to God's redeeming heart. So the only way that God's people could ever again be a God-centered, you-first community on God's mission was for someone to come and remove their me-first hearts and replace them with you-first hearts. And that's what God promised he would do. Some of my favorite verses in all the Bible come from Ezekiel 36, where God promised, and he said this, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations by his people, which you have profaned among them, he says, And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. How is he going to take these broken me-first people and still vindicate his holiness and still hallow his name in the earth with, with these people? Here's how he's going to do it. He says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to take out the me first heart. I'm going to put in a you first heart. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my rules. I will cause you to love God and love others in the place I put you, by my spirit. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. We will be a community on mission together again. So how is this to be accomplished? It would require the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, to take on human flesh himself and become the second Adam, to undo what the first Adam did. And so the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son to come and live in our place, the you-first life that we were created to live, but couldn't and wouldn't. And to die in our place, the death that we deserve to die for living a me-first life. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, 
so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. So that we might become a people who could live in right relationship with God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And in community with God. And who could then live on the right mission to love God and love people in the place he's put us with the resources that he's given us. Only because of Jesus can we become those people. And John 3 goes on to say, whoever believes in Jesus, whoever trusts him, depends on Jesus, leans on him and on his work, not their own, they will not perish but have eternal life in community and in mission with God and his people forever. I want to stop right there and say, if you have never depended on Jesus and his work for you, to live the you-first life that you were created to live and to die for the me-first life that you did live in your place so that God might come inside and transform you into the one he created you to be to begin with. If you've never trusted and rested on Jesus for that, then I invite you to do that today. Just cry out to him. And if you need to talk about it, I'm happy to talk to you about it. But that was his plan to redeem for himself a community that would be on mission with him. And so Act 4, the restoration. Where is the story going? Where are we ultimately headed? The final act of the story of Jesus is a chapter that never ends. Revelation 21 says... John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is the people of God, the church. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, this is what God was after. The dwelling of place with God, of God is with man. He will dwell with him, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. A God-centered community. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's his mission. He said, it is done. And he invites any who trust him. He says, I will be his God and he will be my son. Later on in Revelation 22, it talks about a river flowing from the throne of God with Trees planted beside it that were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed there. And God's people will reign with God forever and ever. That's where we're headed. We're headed to be God's community on God's mission. To magnify and multiply his glory, his goodness, and his gladness throughout all creation. Forever and ever and ever. We will relate and rule with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit forever without 
me first hearts. Until then, we who are in Christ and have Christ in us will continue to be transformed by the Spirit of Christ to fulfill his mission to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, identifying them with Christ's community and teaching them to observe or do all that Jesus commanded. In other words, equipping them to be on Christ's mission. We'll do that as we're going into the places God puts us in our daily lives. That's what we'll do in the meantime, until we get to that day when we will spend eternity celebrating, marveling at, wondering in amazement at, and sharing God's deep gladness and renewing all things. There's the story. Thank you for listening. And if that's all we got today, that's enough. But my question is, so what's prayer got to do with this? Well, prayer was meant to be the way that we live in, communi- in communion and communication with God as we live in his community and on his mission. Our prayers enable us to be like Adam and Eve, walking in the cool of the day with God, talking with him, getting to know and love him, depending on him to equip and empower us to carry out his mission, to care for and cultivate his creation, and multiply other people made in his image to fill the earth with his goodness, glory, and gladness. Prayer is depending on him in communion and communication as his community on his mission. And so how does this help us make sense of Matthew 6? Now we get to Matthew 6. Don't worry. I'll get you out of here in time. Matthew 6. By the time Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, which Matthew 6, our passage is part of, the people had turned prayer into a me-first ritual a way to get God and others to serve them. Look at Matthew 6, 5 through 8 with me. Jesus said, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they might be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, Jesus says, they have received their reward. They they wanted to be seen by others. They got seen by others. But when you pray... When you pray as my disciples in community with me and on mission with me, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So hypocrites, Jesus uses that word, hypocrites use their fake so-called relationship with God in order to get attention. But disciples give attention to their real relationship with God. You see the difference? Hypocrites use a fake relationship with God to get attention from others horizontally. True disciples give attention to their real relationship with God vertically. So for the hypocrite, prayer has become a a religious activity instead of a relational reality. Prayer can easily become a way for me to try to get horizontally from people what I can only get vertically from God. And what is it that I want? I want to be noticed. I want to be loved. I want to be accepted. I want to be wanted. I want some sense of identity. 
And so, am I going to get it from people by being a religious praying person? Or am I going to be a real praying person and get it from God, my Father, in secret? Because in Christ, I have all those things. I I am noticed, I am loved, I'm accepted, I'm wanted. I have an identity in Christ. And so then prayer stops being a tool that I use to get God and others to notice, love, and accept, and want me. And it becomes the way that I commune with the one who, because of Jesus, gives me all of that perfectly and permanently. Prayer is about spending time with your Father who is in secret and sees in secret. It says He will reward you. He is the reward. Prayer is communion. Uh, Years ago, I went on a retreat where the retreat leader was teaching us different kinds of ways to pray. And he said something that has completely changed my understanding of prayer and other spiritual disciplines forever. He said, I don't pray to get God to love me. I pray so that I can hear him say it. Do you see the difference? (laughs) I don't pray or read the Bible or go to worship or whatever other spiritual discipline things you do. I don't pray to get God to love me. I do pray. I read God's word. I go to worship so that I can hear him Say it. I don't need the attention of others when I've got the attention of my Father who loves me. Prayer is communion with your Father, and He is your reward. On the front of your bulletin, I put this quote from Tim Keller. He says, The first half of the Lord's Prayer has nothing to do with my needs. The first half has nothing to do with daily bread, nothing to do with my guilt, nothing to do with my anger toward people, nothing to do with the strength I need to face challenges. What am I spending the first half of the prayer doing? I'm enjoying, I'm noticing, I'm rejoicing, I'm amazed by Him. Here's the point. Before you ask for anything else, the primary goal of prayer, or the first thing you should ask for, is Him. Jesus says the way prayer is supposed to be built is before you ask for anything else, First, ask for me. Prayer is about a relationship. Our Father. It's about having communion with the Father through Jesus the Son by the Holy Spirit. But it's also, He's our Father. It's a reminder to me that I'm having communion with the community of the three-in-one God and the family I've been adopted into. So prayer is a way to commune with God because I'm part of the community of God. Jesus goes on in Matthew 6, in verses 7 and 8, and he says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, For your father knows what you need before you ask him. So pagan cultures would practice prayer as sort of an incantation or repeating a magic formula that uh, was expected to move the gods to act on their behalf. 
for example, all the prophets of Baal, the 450 prophets of Baal, the Bible says that they chanted and yelled and screamed and cut themselves and bled for hours and hours and hours trying to get their God to burn up the sacrifice. That's, that's what this is talking about. Again, this is just a me-first heart turning prayer into something that is about me. It's turning God into a cosmic vending machine. So that if I put in enough prayer coins, the right ones and the right amount of them, I can get God to give me what I want. And you know what you do when a vending machine doesn't give you what you want when you want it? You beat on it and you shake it and you get mad at it and you say things that you ought not to say. And isn't that what we do with God? You're not giving me what I need, what I think I need, what I deserve. But your heavenly Father knows what you need. He's not necessarily going to give you what you want. James says you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. But Jesus is saying the Lord's Prayer was made for the Lord's mission. Last week I told you that John Piper uh, compared prayer to a wartime walkie-talkie for communicating with the general while we're on his mission. And he says we have tended to turn that wartime walkie-talkie into a domestic intercom asking the maid to come fluff our pillow. Yikes. But prayer is very different for those who are caught up with Jesus in his community and on his mission. Um, To those people, those of us who are his, he says, pray like this. Our Father. And the Lord's Prayer is not so much a what to say as it is a way to pray. Um, It's fine to say the Lord's Prayer, and we should. Um, as long as we don't turn it into one of those magical formulas. But it's a way to pray. Our Father. Um, those two words remind us that we're made to live in community with God and with one another. Um, but what's interesting is that uh, saying our Father is followed by in heaven. And what I think that means is that, or what it shows me, is that my father is, is not just my father. He's also my king. Our father happens to be the king of the universe who has a kingdom he wants to advance, a mission that he's called us to engage in with him. Um, he, our father, is the one who rules heaven and earth. And so we're not only called to relate with God the Father, but to rule with God the King. Not only to partner with the Father and his family, but we're called to participate in the Father's family business. We are not only his adopted sons and daughters, we are his apprentices. Just like Jesus, Jesus would look back to the Father and ask, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? He learned from the Father what the mission was and how to do it. And so, prayer is not only about relationship, it's about a revolution. 
that God is up to in the world. He's renewing all things. That's the Father's family business. So, the Lord's Prayer itself. Uh, And where are my helpers who are going to start helping me hand out something? I have something for all of you. I see them. There they go. Thank you so much. Um, Everybody gets a copy. There's plenty of these. Um, I created a little prayer guide for us as a church um, based on the Lord's Prayer. And so I want to take just a couple of minutes to walk you through that um, and ask you if you would use this personally in your prayer time, in your family you could use it, um, small groups, Bible studies, where, wherever we gather, um, not every single place, whatever, but if, you, if this would be helpful to you, use this guide. You'll remember two weeks ago, I touched on the Lord's Prayer from Luke 11, and I told you that um, there's two parts of the Lord's Prayer. The first part is about the Father's purpose for the mission, that it is meant to hallow his name, to glorify him, uh, to magnify his holiness. So it's a God-exalting mission, and then I told you um, it's a kingdom-advancing mission. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so whatever we do as part of God's mission to advance his kingdom, to magnify his glory and goodness and gladness throughout the world, um, the Lord's Prayer helps us to focus on those kind of purposes that God has. But the Lord's Prayer is also not only about God's purposes, but our participation. And so you have, um, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, lead us not into temptation. Those are three things that we need in order to participate with God on his mission. We need provision. Uh, we, we serve God as physical people in physical places. And so we, need, we have physical needs. We need resources to do what God has called us to do. Um, We also need to ask for peacemaking because the Father's mission is a relational mission. It's making disciples who love God and love others, and we are in community together doing that. And when you put a bunch of sinners in a community together on a mission, there's going to be some friction. And so we need to keep short accounts with God and with one another. We need peacemaking. We need God to provide Forgiveness for us so that we can also continue to forgive one another. And then we need protection because it's a a spiritual mission. Um, Adam and Eve had an enemy, and so do we. The enemy still does not want this mission to go forward. And so Jesus taught us to pray for that kind of protection. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. So look real quick at this prayer guide. Um, There are things I may have missed, and that's okay. You can add to it. But look real quick. I've divided all the little petitions of the Lord's Prayer into sections. Um, Start with just 
communing with your Father in heaven. Praise and give thanks to Him for His greatness, goodness, grace, His gospel, His glory. Commune with Him. Pray that His glory would cover the knowledge, uh, the knowledge of His glory would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And then as far as praying for Mountain Fellowship, pray for our public and private worship of God. Pray for every element of the worship services, but also pray for yours and our own personal worship of God, whether it's in our families or individually. Um, pray that we would worship him, that we would uh, see and savor Jesus as he's offered to us in the gospel. Um, it's said that uh, Charles Spurgeon, back in the 1800s in his church, um, had a group of people that would number up to 700 people in a room underneath the sanctuary of the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And he was, when he would give tours of the building to visitors on a Sunday morning, he would take them down and open the door and show them all these people praying. And he called that prayer meeting the boiler room. Recently, this building lost its boiler, didn't it? It's, uh, it's heat source. We don't need that boiler. Let's pray. Would you be the boiler room for Mountain Fellowship? Would you please pray for me as I preach, as I help feed us? Let's be the boiler room. Uh, and then for God's kingdom coming, his will be done, uh, that's making disciples. So there's all these categories for about God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven, in our family discipleship, in the discipleship ministries of this church, in our outreach, whether personal or corporate uh, outreach into the community and to the neighbor, our neighbors and the nations and the next generation. I've listed as far as I know, and if there are others I haven't listed and I need to, our, mission, our missionaries and our mission trip, uh, there's one couple that's serving in a sensitive country, so I can't give you their names. All of this information and what they do is on our website, so go there if you want to know more about them. Pray for revival. Pray for renewal of God's church and revival in our country. Uh, and there's some prompts for you to do that. Pray about, on the second side. Pray about national, world, national and world events and evils. Natural disasters, disease, wars, terrorism, human trafficking, sanctity of life issues, race and whatever. Pray when, like this week, God's people had the opportunity to pray for what was happening in Florida uh, in the shooting. Pray that God's local church there in those places would, would rise up and be his community on mission whether it's a natural disaster or an evil like a shooter. And don't let the world keep telling you that your thoughts and prayers don't matter. I don't know about your thoughts, but your prayers matter. That doesn't mean that's all we do, obviously. But we're up here in Tennessee. Our prayers matter. Don't let the enemy discourage you from praying about these things. Pray for our leaders. And then give us this daily bread. We need provision. 
So here's a place where you can pray for personal prayer requests that you have or that you know others in our body have. Um, Pray that God would provide uh, through the ministry of our deacons. Uh, Pray for the ministry of our elders. Pray that God would provide through the ministry of our staff. Um, Pray for us. We're, like two weeks ago, we're the ones who you have shown up at our door and we have nothing to give you. And so we need to pray and ask God to give us the Spirit so that we can shepherd and feed His people. And then for peacemaking, forgive us our our debts. Um, Here's prayer prompts for personal and corporate repentance, for, for peace in our church community, for peace in our families, for peace uh, of our church and us with those outside of our church, for peace in Signal Mountain, in Chattanooga, in Tennessee, in the USA, in the world. Pray that the gospel of grace would create communities of peace. And finally, for protection against the enemy. And there are all kinds of prayer prompts there for you to pray that God would protect. Um, the purity of his people and protect the mission that he's called us on. That's, that's my encouragement to us as we learn together to be a praying church. Um, prayer is, is a totally different thing when you realize that you're part of God's community and on God's mission. It's communion with him. It's communication with him as together we do what he's called us to do. Um, Let's pray and let's come to the Lord's table together. Father, thank you. Um, Thank you for the patience of your people to listen. (laughs) And uh, we ask that your spirit would take the things that we have learned together this morning and And make us, God, a praying church. Um, Make me a praying pastor. Uh, Do that in us. And thank you as we come to your table now. We ask that you would set aside these elements from their normal daily use and allow them to remind us of the body and blood of Jesus who feeds us um, with his everlasting love. In Christ's name we pray.